When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This is the Project Up Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. On this episode of the show, we're talking with Ben Bredigan of Onyx Hunt, Tyler Webster of the B3 Podcast. Stay tuned for a special giveaway from Dogtra, Onyx, and Project Upland. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 136. is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. If you want to get the most out of your dog, you need nutrition that holds nothing back. To help unleash your dog's maximum potential, check out the new Yukonuba Premium Performance lineup at yukonubasportingdog.com. And by CZ USA, shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind, from the Bob White and Sharptail side by sides to the Upland Ultralight and Wing Shooter Elite over and unders. They've got pumps, they've got semi autos. CZ USA has a shotgun for you, including the soon to be announced Project Upland CZ USA crowdsource shotgun. Stay tuned on that. Learn more at cz-usa.com. And by Sage & Breaker, makers of gun cleaning products that protect legacies. The legacy of your firearm, the legacy of the sport, and the legacy of passing both down to future generations. Sage & Breaker lives, breathes, and makes everything at the highest caliber possible, and they are proud to pass that caliber of craftsmanship on to you. Learn more at sageandbreaker.com. And finally by Dakota 283 Kennels, unparalleled protection, one-piece rotomole design, frame steel door, everything you and your dog need 
in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip. Check out the latest original film from Project Duplin and Dakota 283, the Dakota 283 origin story, and head over to Dakota283.com to find your next kennel. All right, our giveaway this week is a little bit different than previous weeks. You can still make a meaningful contribution to the show by leaving us a rating, leave us a review in your podcast app, subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast, send us some feedback or a guest suggestion. But more importantly, this week we've got a special giveaway that is tied in with our interview today. You're going to hear more about it on the podcast episode, but I'm going to give you the details right now. What you need to do after you listen to this episode, write down the answers that we're going to give you later in our conversation, find this Project Upland podcast episode on our website, projectupland.com, and look for the survey slash giveaway link where you can submit your answers and your email entered to win our giveaway from Dogtra, Onyx Hunt, and Project Upland. More details to come during our episode today. And with that said, I'm going to intro our guests. We've got Ben Bredigan, wing shooting manager at Onyx Hunt, Tyler Webster, host of the B3 podcast, both former guests of the show. We wanted to catch up, talk bird hunting, talk Onyx, talk Dogtra callers, mix in some other stuff as well. I know you're going to enjoy this one, and stay tuned until the end for more details on how you can win a Dogtra TNB dual system, an Onyx Elite membership, and a Project Upland magazine subscription, which I've decided to throw in on the fly. With that said, let's welcome into the conversation and onto the Project Upland podcast, Ben Bredigan and Tyler Webster. All right, I'm hitting record, and... We're rolling on the Project Up podcast. What's up, guys? Not too much, buddy. Got a couple guests here on the PU podcast. A couple of repeat guests. You guys will you'll know these folks. We've got some fun stuff to chat about today, and we're working our way through the off season just like everybody else. So, Ben, uh, remind the listeners who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I am the wing shooting manager at Onyx Hunt. So that's a cool title. Yeah, I like it. So we just uh, actually we just kind of restructured everything under species, and I was definitely the first one to throw my hat in for wing shooting. So Perfect. <laughs> it worked out great. And you have been with Onyx not a year yet, have you? Nope, nope. I'm uh, getting closer now. I'm about going on eight months now. So okay. yeah, out of Minnesota here and enjoying being back in the Midwest. I was down south for five years, so that was a long time to be that far away from the open prairies. So it's been a great fall getting yeah. to go run around and all sorts of fun stuff. It's yeah. easy to say it's fun to be back up in the North when, uh, uh, we didn't have a winter. <laughs> yeah, we really did, man. Yeah. I I'm pretty convinced that you had less of a winter than we had Tyler, but it was, yeah. uh, all things considered pretty mild one here. That's for sure. Yeah, I think we had about fourteen days of winter. Is about it. Yeah, yeah. we got all <laughs> we got February. all of our cold weather in one stretch, and it was it was a brutal stretch, but it it was a one and done. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, for for listeners that perhaps missed it, uh, Ben and I we did a podcast. It was during hunting season, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah. had to have been towards the end of hunting season, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So last fall, that was uh, that was very Onyx related Ben Bredigan story sort of thing. And the other voice voice that folks hear is a familiar one for uh, podcast fans and or listeners of of the Project Upland podcast. Tyler Webster of the Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast. Everybody knows who you are, Tyler. Well, it, it sure I sure would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we've got we've got Tyler holed up out in his garage. There's no heat. Uh, but the spray foam insulation is keeping keeping you warm. Oh, it seems like. I just I just kicked on the, the thirty thousand BTU propane heater, okay. so it'll start warming up in here pretty quick. <laughs> Are the dogs out there with you? 
No, I got well. So CJ is in heat at the moment. So she, I, I got her about sixty miles to the east, just hoping that Bo still doesn't get at her because, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, he, man. But uh, no, him and Rusty are in, in the house. I figured uh, since I don't exact, I haven't really been out here since hunting season got done. So uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's not it's not a. I don't know if it's dog safe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so set the stage for me. Prairie wise, you're in the you're in Western North Dakota. No snow. Uh, well, whatever snow we had is going to be gone here in the next couple of days. Okay. Uh, we did get a little lucky because it's it's dry. It's really yeah. really dry until about um, probably ten days ago or so. We had zero snow. Uh, we did get a little shot on. I'm north of Highway Two, and I was in kind of the pocket that got the most. Um, within 20 miles, it ranged from one inch to right, right here at my place. I got about six and a half inches of very wet snow about 10 days ago, which helped a lot, but yeah, pretty, okay. pretty dry. Nice winter for the birds, but we're going to need some moisture this spring. Yeah. Yep. Good winter for the birds, but moisture needed. Is that fairly unusual? I mean, would you normally expect to be covered in snow at this point? Well, so this particular part of the state, the Northwest, the Western part of the state, Generally is doesn't get as much snow as the east does, anyways. Yeah. But this wasn't an abnormally open winter. Uh, the last two winters have kind of been this way. It's, I mean, it's been nice for me. <laughs> uh, I'm sure the farmers are panicking a little bit, but sure. uh, it's a, uh, it's not unheard of, but it's it, it's certainly less than normal. I think the only, I think that six and a half inch snowfall that's by far the biggest we had, and we probably only had another maybe four or five inches of snow total throughout the winter it was pretty pretty open and yeah. uh we've been well above average temperatures except for that little 14 day slice of heaven that we all had to go through where the high for like 10 days was below zero um but other than that it's been it's been warm enough where anytime we do get a little bit of snow it's gone within a week so um i went out and, and snow blowed in my yard a little bit yesterday just to kind of try to get the snow away where i wasn't gonna have a whole bunch of water puddles and oh, it's yeah, all gone. sure yeah it's all gone. yeah so well just looking at the drought map here it looks like i mean pretty much everything west of kind of that you know west of minnesota is looking like it's in a a drought not as bad as like you look at utah and arizona yeah Nevada, arizona but, should be okay uh, Are I, they? they got a bunch of rain down there this winter. Um, uh, and this is generally their driest time of the year. Um, so hopefully, uh, they're, they're going to be good, but yeah, they got a pretty good snow down there in January. So I got a question, you know, looking, so obviously winter is hard on birds. You know, you get the late, late freezing rain, that kind of thing, you know, where you are, Tyler, what, you know, we're on the up and up right now yep. looking forward here. You know, when's the, when's the crucial time to either get rain or not get rain for it to be cold, hot? What does that look like for you? Well, it, it, it changes a little bit every year, but it, the, the, the main takeaway is that you have to have uh, bugs to make babies. Uh, so we need, we're, I mean, we, we had enough moisture where we'll get some nesting cover regardless, but we're certainly going to need some rain. Uh, the window in, in my mind is, is uh, mid-April to mid-May. Uh, if you can really get some, you know, even just four or five inches, three, four or five inches of rain in that time period, we'll be in pretty good shape. The birds, I think the game and fish here say that the, the peak of the pheasant hatch, which is the first hatch to happen, is about the 15th of June. 
Okay. So as long as we have bugs and uh, cover by then, we should be in good shape. I think we'll be okay. But yeah, it, it's uh, mid-April to mid-May, I think, would probably be that time frame. But I've also seen lots of spring blizzards in <laughs> mid-April. Right. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's a, you know, it, we, we kind of have to be a little cautious on, on how, on, uh, how, hard we're praying for moisture this time of the year because it can come in the form of a whole lot of snow very fast yeah. uh but yeah so ho- hopefully we're, we're you know those whole uh, april showers bring uh, june bugs or something like that i can't remember how <laughs> yeah, may, f- may flowers might be what you were <laughs> looking for there pollinators you know we need them too <laughs> yes yes yeah it, it's kind of weird actually looking at like i was giddy yesterday looking it was 40 degrees and i'm looking ahead at like Every day above freezing with sunshine, which I would say is unusual for, you know, this time of year in Minnesota. And, but then I look at the calendar and I'm like, March 1st, like we are, there's a right. long ways to go before. There's a lot of winter left. Yeah, yeah, we're exactly. not out of the so, woods by any I'm, means. I'm not, no. I'm not like expecting there won't be any more snow or like an April ice storm kind of thing. I mean, that, that can definitely happen, but I, it's pretty apparent that we're going to be melting a lot of snow over the next week or so. And then what happens from there? I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm thinking I might get back into the spring woods a little sooner than I normally do, which is okay by me. Did, uh, did you guys, uh, have enough snow over there for the rough grouse to have enough adequate snow to snow nest during that really cold stretch? So I was, that was definitely something I was thinking about and my, my backyard observation around here, I, I didn't go a lot of places. Like I didn't, I wasn't over at my cabin much this winter. Um, I have a decent handle on the snow, but I was pretty central or pretty localized here, um, in Duluth. Mm-hmm. And I think we had just enough snow before that two week stretch of sub zero temps hit like January. We hardly had any snow at all. Then we finally got a little bit and there was enough powder and fluffy snow out in the woods that I think the grouse had some sort of retreat, but was it ideal? No, it wasn't. Uh, so I'm not really sure what the end result of that was, but I think they, I think they had a decent chance. And when we had that super cold temp, it was bitterly cold, but it wasn't nasty weather. It was pretty stable weather patterns, right. sun, sunny during the day and not a ton of wind. So I, I don't know. I, I think they had a, they had a decent chance, but it was, um, uh, that was a cold stretch. You know, the, it's funny. The farther I get into this whole bird hunting thing, and I'm—I mean, let's face it—I'm about—I don't know anybody who's in it deeper. I don't know if there is a next You're in level. There plenty uh, deep. <laughs> um, but you know, I never used to worry about this kind of crap at right, all. Right. Like I was never worried about rain in the spring. Never worried about too much snow. It's like ah, the birds will well. Now it's like as soon as season ends, there's nothing else to really concentrate on. So I'm just staring at my weather app like five hours a day. <laughs> Got pins all the way across the oh, country. Oh god, yeah. it's all it's, it's out of control. Yeah. It's out. Of, oh, you should see me in July, Ben. When uh, when the when they're starting to get the monsoons down there in Arizona, every evening yeah. I'm on my Onyx. I'm dropping pins in the in the canyons that are getting rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a bit of a fruitless pursuit yeah. just because you know obviously the i'm gonna go hunting no matter what but yeah yeah, yeah. yeah like it's like farmers walking outside and staring at the sky every day just praying or hoping that it doesn't rain more yep. and it's like i'm gonna go hunting no matter what uh it's just it's like i have to have something to occupy my mind otherwise i'll go completely crazy i know the feeling yep i know when it will have gone too far tyler is when i pull up to your house one day and you're out 
buck naked doing the rain dance or something <laughs> in your front yard, then it has gone too far. If we haven't had any rain by mid-May, don't come around the house because it's totally <laughs> going to be happening. <laughs> stay out, stay away from Sharptail Ridge at that point. That's okay. right. I'm gonna, I am going to be watching the weather just so I don't show up at the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, before we get too much further, I do want to mention that our original plan that the listeners would not know, uh, we were going to have Mr. Pete Fisher from Dogtra on the podcast as well, and this was going to be a fairly Dogtra-themed podcast. We weren't going to got, dive too deep and make it all Dogtra the whole episode, but we couldn't get Pete on here, a little bit of technical difficulties, so we're here, and why I'm telling that to the listeners is because they should be excited. There is a Dogtra TNB Dual unit that is going to be given away to one of the lucky listeners of this podcast, along with, what are we getting from Monax, Ben? Uh, we're going to do a year-free Elite membership. So $99 be, value still? Yep. Perfect. You can go be Tyler Webster and go travel around the country chasing birds. Nice. nice. <laughs> it's still the best $100 I spend every year. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> I just went and had to... And, uh, I'm lucky enough for uh, for Ben to pr- provide me nowadays with a, a subscription yeah. to Onyx, and I forgot to cancel. So you guys still got a hundred bucks out of me. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I've got a. I, I've great. actually got a good little Onyx Onyx customer service tidbit that I'll throw in here quick. I for the I was a customer of Onyx for a couple of years, I think, before you guys came on board the Project Upland podcast. Now, uh, like Tyler. Uh, Onyx does provide me with my elite subscription. So for that, I'm very thankful, but it renews every year in September and it's this uh, totally out of sight, out of mind thing. And then all of a sudden one day it will show up and be that I have no maps. So last year it actually happened the night before opening rough grouse in Wisconsin. It was September, whatever day it was Friday. I'm driving to my cabin. I've got some extra time before my buddy shows up. I pull off onto some gravel roads to do a little scouting, and I pull up Onyx, and sure enough, my layers were not there. <laughs> my grout, my aspen cuts were not there. I pulled over. I had service. I emailed Jared, Jared Larson uh, of Onyx, emailed him and told him the story. And this was like, you know, 5 o'clock on Friday. So I'm like, great. <laughs> the guy might be... He's probably out hunting or doing something. He's probably out hunting. Yeah, yeah he's out sure. hunting. Like he's not going to get this till Monday, and I don't necessarily need it. Like I pretty much know where I'm going for opening weekend in Wisconsin. Like I didn't need it, but sure enough, I got to the cabin, had a couple of beers, and checked my email later that night. And Jared had me hooked up. So I will tell was, you right uh, now that there yeah. is no worse feeling than look. My on uh, I had an, an Onyx blip this year, and I had to call. In fact, I had to text Ben. And I like I just felt naked and unprepared. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I was like, "Oh God, I don't like this feeling at all." Uh, I know, like, I know where I'm at. I know where the birds are at, but I just don't like it. I'm not comfortable anymore. <laughs> that's that's the ultimate testament to the product. Everything is great until you don't have it. You feel like you you're missing a piece of you know your essential gear, and that's that's Onyx for me. For sure. Yeah, so I've got a good story. I had this uh, had this gentleman, a friend of mine, call and say, "Hey, where?" I just logged into my account and all of my pins are gone. I have nothing. And I was like, well, you know, there's some things you can do. Like, you know, is your content on blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, give me your login info. So I log in there and sure enough, there's no pins in there. And I started freaking out. I was like, (laughs) uh, I I went on the back end. I looked and I was like, yeah, this is your account. It's active. And, And I was like, oh my gosh, I've never heard this doesn't happen ever. So it turns out, he has two subscriptions and it was uh-huh. under a different email. 
And I was like, oh my gosh, I was about to just like, this is bad. Like I've never heard, nobody ever loses their content. But right. Two subscriptions. So <laughs> I had a. I, I I remember the old days. I had this big giant plat book that I had color coded with different color highlighters for different species of birds. Uh, and I remember I left it at home one day, and I drove sixty miles back to come back and get it, uh, just because <laughs> I could not live without that thing. Now it yeah. it fits in my pocket, <laughs> and it's you so never handy. go anywhere without your phone. Not a no. chance. No. Not a chance. Yeah, the way it. The way it orchestrates and organizes hunting spots, everything else, um, never ceases well, to amaze me. That's for sure. Just, just one more little quick thing for yeah. our love letter to Onyx here, real quick, since we do have the guy on. Uh, Shameless. Um, so this time of the year uh, is the one time of the year where I'm actually working a lot because uh, the, this is the time of the year that the Huns are paired up. So I have been driving around on both mail routes, marking every place that I see a pair of Huns, just knowing that that means that there's going to be a covey there in, uh, next fall. And so now this year, any of you guys that uh, that get a, a peek at my Onyx, and I try to keep it as secret as I possibly can, if you see blue pins, um, those are those are all uh, pairs of Huns for winter 2021. And I think I have like 80 of them. <laughs> so be sure to check back in a couple months because I'm going to have a Tyler Webster Hun layer for an artist. Dang right. Yeah, Dang right. <laughs> yeah. For sale. <laughs> so anyways, before we dove into that little uh, Onyx spiel, the point of that was thank you to Doctra and to Onyx for making a pretty sweet giveaway. And they're going to make one of the listeners of this podcast extremely lucky. They're going to go home with a Doctra TNB dual collar system collar that I know that I have. And I know that Tyler, Tyler has it as well. Um, yep. And then we are all users of Onyx. So somebody's going to get hooked up this fall. What you need to do is keep listening until towards the end. And I'm going to ask these guys a specific question that will have a specific answer that will be involved with the winning process so sorry to tease you guys but stay tuned until the end and uh there'll be more to come now with that said i want to transition into your last hunt your meaning ben and tyler's you guys hunted together you shut the bar down in south dakota so to speak for the last no, weekend we, we actually physically shut down the bar too <laughs> well i figured i figured there might have been some of that too so tyler take it away tell me a little bit about the the last weekend that i was unfortunately not able to attend yeah, it, it was it was uh and not even for because he had a good excuse there, Larson. It was uh it was it was not an adequate excuse to miss the last week <sighs> I know, of pheasant season. Was, all I can say it was family related, but yeah. I know, right. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could have that whole discussion about if whether or not I think that those things are pointless or not at a different <laughs> time. Um families included, I suppose. Um but uh so uh it was kind of getting towards uh, South Dakota extended their pheasant season out this year uh, for the first time to the end of January, which was awesome because most years it doesn't really matter how long their season goes for because it's just too cold or there's too much snow a lot of times for it to really be worthwhile anyways. But last week in a season this year was in the 30s and 40s and incredibly nice and there was almost no snow. And so it was the week before and I kind of had the, I hadn't been hunting in about two weeks. I'd been back from Arizona and I was really kind of starting to get the the winter blues a little bit where it's like, man, I just got to go do something. I was like, well, South Dakota's still open. So I, I got a hold of you. Well, first I got a hold of Greg yep. Cronkite from Dakota 283 and yep. I kind of asked him, 
sort of what his plans were, kind of in the offhanded uh, assumption that he was going to say he was hunting and that I could come with. Because <laughs> uh, as, as we all know now, uh, Greg's farm is pretty badass. It's, yep. uh, it's set up exactly perfect for pheasants, uh, late season pheasants, early season pheasants, in between season pheasants. There's yeah. just a lot of birds down there. It's pretty awesome. And, uh, he, he's like, well, I'm going to be hunting. Uh, you want to come down? I was like, that is exactly the answer I was looking for right there. <laughs> and, uh, he said that you'd kind of got a hold of him and you and Ted were maybe going to come down. So yep. I got a hold of you. And, um, Long and short of it is, like, I talked to, I talked to Greg a little uh, after I got off phone with you and we'd kind of decided that anybody who's ever hunted late season pheasants knows that having more people is beneficial, uh, cause they're very wild. You need blockers and Greg's place is set up very well for, for that kind of hunting. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him, uh, you know, would you mind if I invited some friends with? He's like, no, absolutely go ahead. So I called Ben right away. And Ben brought uh, his dad and his brother down, and then I called my buddies from Michigan. They came. They drove over. They'd been home for like four days. Their wives hate me. Um, <laughs> uh, and then uh, I brought a couple of my other friends down from here, and then Wes Larrabee came down. So there was 10 of us. And we went down there, and, I mean, it was late-season pheasant hunting, man. I mean, it was we had, we had a mix of very, very good dog work. Um, we had – and we were using pointing dogs. Uh, all of us, I think. I don't. Well, Simon was well, there. Simon for one has day. his yeah, had a, yep, shooter. Yep, and he had uh, he had his golden with that first day. But uh, we had. We what had about Greg? Were him. you hunting with Greg in his labs or no? Greg was pretty much blocking. He was okay. playing tour okay. guide yep. and uh, and and kind of showing everybody where you know he was setting everything up, which he uh, likes you to know, do. Yeah, 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 and he's good at it because he knows his property. Yep, and uh, you know he knows what the birds are going to do before the birds do. And, uh, so it worked out really well. So he kind of went and, and did a lot of blocking with his labs and the rest of us all, there was a drawhar army down there. There was a lot of drops. <laughs> um, there was a, it was, it was fun. It was really fun. Guess how many porcupines were killed and raccoons. This is amazing. There wasn't None. one. Wasn't wow. one. Yeah. Wow. Right, we had a right. close encounter. That might that be because with... Greg's already trapped them all though. Yeah, <laughs> a close encounter of the porky kind in one of the walks on day one, I think. But uh, and it wasn't everybody even, came out unharmed. Was that one of the poinsettias that? <laughs> I think that was little Roxy that pointed that yeah. one. Yeah. But uh, we uh, so we kind of descended on that place with an army, and uh, <laughs> man, there was some carnage. Uh, we uh, we stacked some birds down there, and it was it was really kind of the perfect way to to end the season. Uh, it was a lot of really good guys. Had a lot of fun. Um, I think we only got kicked out of the hotel lobby once, oh, which, good. which uh, is amazing. I don't know how on earth they put up with us because we basically just sat in the lobby and drank all night and long. Just out of there. the lobby, not out of the hotel. Not so. out of the hotel. Yeah. No, they're like, the lobby's closing. You guys have to go to your room. We're like, ah, okay. Fine. Like less friendly version of that. <laughs> yeah, a little, a little bit, yeah. Uh, well, you, you touched on it a little bit, Tyler, and I, I had jotted this down because I wanted to sort of address this in that most of the listeners know I haven't spent a ton of time pheasant hunting, but I did get to go on my first one out at Greg's farm this year, which we talked about, but you were hunting pheasants last weekend in January, and that's about as late as late season pheasants get. Yeah. Now you had favorable weather and that was, yep. that was part of the impetus where everybody was pretty jazzed up, good conditions and everything. So I'm curious if that, if like late season weather can really play into it, but late season pheasants, people talk about that a lot. They're tough. They're, they're wily. They're getting up out ahead. You had pointing dogs. Like how did it play out from that perspective? Well, so 
we ran we, we definitely use a little bit of a little bit of strategy on that on that aspect like i uh i made sure that i i took cj somewhere else and and ran her kind of by herself because okay. uh, i mean dogs that, that really really get out there this time and uh, well super late season like that it it's not going to be beneficial to a group in in a group environment you kind of want to control your dogs a little bit keep you know them keep tighter. them 75 to 100 yards um but we yeah so generally the only way that you can really describe it is when you get into a, a spot where there's a lot of birds late season they they tend to flush in waves more so like one will go and then when that bird flies over other birds those birds will go yep. and then more birds and more birds and more birds and so you really need to be as quiet as you possibly can it's one of the few times of the year where i'm not like yelling rooster every time a bird gets up because you really don't i mean everybody can see it and you don't really need to and you just kind of need to be as quiet as possible with the pointing dogs um we had it the weather certainly played played into it a little bit. So we kind of went, we kind of ran through the gamut on weather while, while we were down there. The first day we were there, it was absolutely gorgeous out. Second day, we had some freezing rain. It was very slippery and it was cold and a little, not really windy, but it was there was a real bite in the air. And that day, the birds were they definitely wanted to be in the tree rows more so than they did the other two days. And then the last day, it was absolutely gorgeous out. But um, we just. It's so hard to describe unless you've seen it, but it's, uh, we had, we ran the gamut on when getting out of the truck and having a hundred birds take off at gotcha. the end of the field yeah. to, uh, having, we shot a lot of birds off point. Um, we really did. We had, we had yeah. some nice work. Yeah. There was, you know, there, yeah, there was times where, um, we, we hunted one big ravine with pretty much everyone and we were, I was shocked. There were probably seven or eight of us or six or seven walking. And we were quiet as a church mouse the whole way, about halfway through this ravine, two or 300 yards, like, I mean, hundreds. We, I think, what do we figure, Tyler, like two or 300 birds yeah, got out of that ravine? For sure. Oh, yeah. And then, but then, you know, and that's the nice thing about having that many birds, like the, just, there's more opportunity. There's going to be a bird that's going to hold tight. Yeah. It's yep. a percentage game. Yeah. So, you know, if I was in Minnesota and I saw that at the end of the field, I'd probably just or even like five or 10 birds get out, I just turn around and go to a different field. But <laughs> right. out there, it's just, I mean, Greg did such an amazing job with that farm. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, and on that one particular hunt that you're talking about, Ben, on that one walk, when we got down to the end, we had four blockers and I think six walkers. And we still had a bird that got up off of a point at the very end, like ran all the way to the very end, a rooster. Mm-hmm. And everybody was so conscious of, of where everybody else was at. Everybody ducked, and all, I was like, nobody's going to shoot at that bird. It went right back between everybody, and everybody hit the ground, and finally somebody did knock it down. Yeah, but, I think uh, I just was... turned around and just <laughs> ended up winging it because I was like, I'm going to kill someone. Cause we're, yeah, nobody's going to shoot. Yeah. We're 50 <laughs> yards apart surrounded this little slough. Yeah. I was curious if, of course, the numbers game helps you out at Greg's. Greg's farm is private. They're all wild birds, but it's a private farm. And oh, they're very wild. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there's, and there's a lot of birds because he's, he's manicured that place to a T and it's, mm-hmm. it's set up well for him. But then, you know, Simon hunted with us the first day. Yep. And then and he went off and took, hunted some other stuff. Right? Yeah. Yep. So they hunted uh, public ground then in the farther east in South Dakota. Um, he hunted there before and then after, and there was no problem getting okay. his birds on public ground either. Yeah, so. yeah that's right. 
So back to the weather thing, do you think that that's pretty helpful? Like if you have a cold, nasty day, do the birds get nastier or not so much, Tyler? I honestly think that it might be the other way around. Okay, okay. I think that mm-hmm. if it's colder and nastier, I think that they may be uh, – it, it's easier because it was so nice while we were there. We seen a lot of birds, but um, they were still more spread out than they should have been that time of the year. Okay. I mean, that time of the year, they should be in that tall CRP that he's got. That There was no snow in there. That It wasn't laid over, but it would have been nice thermal cover. They should have been in the, in the cattails. And sure, there was birds in both of those spots, but I mean, not like we would have expected to see. Sure. Um, honestly, it was so nice out. I was wishing that they would have extended the prairie chicken season as well, because right. I think I could have got on prairie chickens. I really do. I mean, it was that warm. It was calm. It was sunny. Um, you know, the colder it gets, the, I mean, those birds are going to get into smaller and smaller patches where it's going to be the deepest, densest cover you can possibly find. Yeah. And some of those birds are, well, the thicker the cover is, the easier it is to approach them, uh, in my opinion, just because, just like Ben was talking about, it's a numbers game. There's always going to be a percentage of them that hold, but the thinner the cover is, obviously, the less chance that they're going to not run, yeah. right? I mean, the thicker the cover, the less chance that they're just going to be track stars going through all that cover, getting to the end and getting out ahead of you. Yeah. Did you see any yeah. chickens or Sharpies while you were there? Yeah, we okay. did. Yeah. Uh, I... I was actually blocking on one. I had a couple of chickens come over top of me. I, like I could have a hundred percent shot them. Yeah. Um, and then the one day Greg took us around for a drive. Uh, he was kind of leading us and we were all on a conference call, like six trucks. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and driving around and he was showing us the property and God, Ben, what do you think? We must've saw 75 or a hundred sharp tails and chickens. Oh yeah. yeah. Easy. Yeah. It was cool. I mean, that property, it's like, you, well, you've seen it, Nick. Like, you've got kind of like the river rolling hills, and yep. you've got the flat yep. farmlands. And, yep. and, yeah, just great yep. cover and so many Sharpies. That In fact, uh, it was right where he said, you missed some or something like that, I believe, yep. is what he said. I think he mentioned that on the conference call. Well, <laughs> yeah. it, yes, if he was referring to the the north sunflower the north field. piece of the property where he's yeah. got the sunflower field and then the ravine below, yes. Um, I didn't miss. Chet did. Chet missed. Ah, okay. Fair <laughs> yeah, enough. Yeah. Well, he's not here to he's not here to defend no, himself. He's not. So. No, no. <laughs> I, well, the thing is, I did miss a sharp tail when I was there in November, and it was if there was one bird I could have back all season last year, that was it because no, was my six month old puppy pointed her very first sharp tail, really nice like move and relocate on it and the sharp tail got up 10 yards in front of me i mean it was as easy of a shot as you ever get and i the old rough grouse hunter and me i shot too fast and you know i had two smoking barrels and probably another couple seconds (laughs) seconds. to shoot the bird yeah exactly (laughs) so um that was a bummer and i drove home that day and thought about it for 10 hours on the road but (laughs) (laughs) my little pup was no worse for the wear and she uh it was cool. She got to point her first pheasants and sharp tails while we were there. So that was fun. I didn't see any chickens, but yeah, I haven't seen a lot of South Dakota, but I can tell you that Greg's little slice of it is a beautiful piece of it. That's for sure. Well, when we were down there in December, um, on, when I took off for my six week little uh, vagabond trip, um, we stopped at the Fort Pier National Grasslands. We were only 20 miles from Greg's. Yep. yep. And uh, we were up there. We were, we, man, it was, it was unreal this year. Super fun. Yeah. Well, we uh I know when you not you and I chatted sometime like later in the year about possibly doing a trip there this year. Later in yeah. later in the year. And for I'm sure. sure I'm sure the weather wouldn't won't cooperate like that all the time, but boy <laughs> for sure if not. it does, the uh yeah, that part of the world a little bit later in the season 
is well i I shot a rattlesnake uh december 2nd or 3rd did you really yeah where in a prairie dog town in south dakota wow Uh, yeah it was uh 67 degrees december 3rd and uh like it was it was just it must have just came out to sun itself or something but cj pointed it for half a second and it was very lethargic but um i know there's going to be people out there that are like why did you have to shoot i don't like snakes um (laughs) and and, uh you know it's uh i also just didn't want to uh there was other people out there hunting and i know that that time of the year a lot of people aren't thinking about it because i certainly wasn't thinking about it and if if my dog went to just pointed it she very easily could have gotten bit yeah yeah, that's pretty. I I didn't. I Greg didn't say anything about it, and I I don't think we were expecting to see any. But um, yeah, They're very uncommon. Right, right. <laughs> I've never seen a rattlesnake in Arizona that late in the year. <laughs> what about your part of North Dakota? Do you? Ted told me he found a rattlesnake skin not that far from where you're at up there. I would bet that it wasn't a rattlesnake skin. Okay. I would bet that it was a bull snake skin. Okay. Um. I have never, including all my talking with all my landowner friends and ranching friends and everything else, nobody's ever seen a rattlesnake right here. Okay. If you get, uh, they really need kind of like rocky mm-hmm. edges and stuff like that for dens. So if you get down closer to the river, yep. um, I'm not very far away from the Missouri River. And when I was camping, we seen we had a rattlesnake underneath of our camper that was probably like 1991. Really? On this side of the river. But that is the only one I've ever seen. But if you get south and west of the river, down in the Badlands, they're a lot more common. Sure. Um, It's still not, you know, they're not underneath every bush or anything like that. But it does happen down there. Yeah. Cool. Well, Ben, you spent some time hunting in South Dakota prior to that, hadn't you? Yeah. I had at least gone there every you know, every year for the past, I don't know, decade or so. So, yeah. but mostly just a lot of East, East river stuff, Okay. primarily, you know, flat and crops and, and filter strips and, and, uh, tree lines, that kind of stuff. So it was just cool to go out a little bit further West and see that country Yeah, for sure. But, um, like Tyler was, you know, like we were talking about that weather, it's just, just crazy how big of a difference, like that last day we were out, the birds just weren't cooperating. I mean, we, you know, you got our birds, but you found them in, in a lot of more diverse areas and just, just crazy to, again, seeing it firsthand. And, you know, you, you can learn one thing, hear it on podcast, but then to go see it in action, it's always just really interesting. Yeah. Well, I feel like I have got a fairly good sort of recap of your guys' season. I mean, we've done it. We had a conversation on the Pheasants Forever podcast with Tyler and Ben. I know you were on were you on the flush podcast or something? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I've heard that. I don't want, I don't want to go into a complete season recap, but before we kind of move on from hunts last fall, I would like to know if there are any memorable moments, memorable hunts that you guys had last fall that come to mind, things that were just uh absolute blast aside from this weekend. We just talked about Ben, anything come to mind? You know, for me, it was definitely the time I spent out in eastern Montana. Okay. I haven't spent a ton of time out there. And just to hunt on, I mean, Tyler sees it all the time, but just miles of unbroken prairie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can walk as far as the eye can see. And then uh, doing that and hunting sage grouse, that was, that's was that been on my list for a number of years. Yeah. And, you know, I just wanted to go and experience it. And it was, it was wild. We had a field where we probably got a hundred sage grouse out of. Wow. And if I ever see that in my life again, I, I would be shocked. It yeah. was, it was incredible. Did you, did you kill a sage grouse? 
Yep. Yep. Yeah, it was, did you kill a bomber? I did. It was, okay. you know, it, was, it must have been a younger one because okay. it wasn't just pristine. And, you know, I wanted to go out there and it's like, of course I want to mount one. But then I started looking at like sage grouse mounts and, you know, because it's so early in the year, they have all their pin feathers. They're just not, they don't make pretty mounts at okay. all. So I took a lot of good pictures and, um, <laughs> Yeah, I think that if the if a, I mean the only way that a guy could really get one that would be mountable would be if you went out the very last weekend of the season because it closes it, it's only open for the month of September yeah. in Montana, and if you went out there like September thirtieth, you might be able to get one that would be worthy of getting mounted. But yeah, they're uh, man the ones I shot this year they were not attractive birds. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, I only got one. We we chased him a little bit when I was out there in 2018, and I the one I shot was a hen. I did not. Uh, I had a thinking back. I had a look at a bomber, but we had it was a little bit chaotic. We had a few people in the field, a couple dogs, and they started popcorn flushing that kind of thing. So there was a little bit too much chaos, and I ended up not shooting. But I have a theory if uh, if you want to hear it on on how a person could get a bomber. <laughs> so like when Ben was out here this fall, we or in August we uh, we made a little video for Onyx. It's up on YouTube on how to e scout for sharp tails. Yep. And uh, one of the things that we actually we found Ben and I found a lek, uh, one of the sharp tail dancing grounds, and it, it's a cool thing. Uh, you know, I've been hunting down there for a long time, but I didn't actually know that there was. A physical lek there and you could see the grass was beaten down it was full of sharp tail feathers and everything else i think and the way that it works if if them sage grouse or anything like sharp tails are if you could find a lek where you know that those those um those males are out there dancing i think that if you concentrated on hunting close and on the leks you would have the best chance of getting a big male because the females fly to the leks the males just kind of stay there and, uh, you know, there are certain spots that I go and walk every year that, uh, in September where, uh, we'll be hunting closer on a lek. And in fact, me and Ben seen it when he was out here in August, we moved a couple of big males off the mm-hmm. top of the lek as well. I think that's how a person would get a bomber if you wanted to get one. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Cause I did a bunch of research, um, go prior to going, I was supposed to go, uh, the previous year and did a bunch of research. And, uh, like Tyler said, it, uh, I can't remember what who put down the study, but in eastern Montana and um, with the GPS, I guess, you know, the GPS backpacks, they put them on sage grouse and like some of those hens would travel for like 80, 100 miles from their wintering grounds yep. to their spring. And that was crazy. But like we, when you looked at a lot of the males, like they did hang out in fairly close proximity and they were always on Lex. There were seemed to be birds that just never left there. Like they just stayed there for the most part. Yeah. Tyler, memorable moment or two from your hunting season last year. So mine, my, I got two of them. My first one's definitely going to be Montana. Uh, we did, we did the the Montana grouse slam, yeah. which wasn't a thing until we made it one. Um, <laughs> I'll be curious like, how many people next year are going to be talking about the Montana. Man, grouse I, I, re- I really am too, because if you get a chance, you should absolutely do it. Cause it was super cool. Yeah. But, uh, uh, that was the first week of September. We went out there as me and some buddies and we, uh, we started on sage grouse and actually ran into a, for what I would consider a surprising number of sharp tails as well. Hmm. Um, seemed like we were bumping sharp tails all the time. Uh, so we got our sage grouse and, and sharp tails in the first two days. 
And then we went up to the extreme northwest corner of Montana, uh, west of Glacier, in like the highest density grizzly bear population in the lower 48, <laughs> which uh, made me a little bit uh, uneasy, yeah, we'll say, yeah. <laughs> uh, which we could actually wrap this around uh, to talk a little bit about uh, some of the dog products as well, because that's when I realized how much I really like that Pathfinder unit. So we can talk about that in a minute. But yeah. uh, so we went up there and we shot uh, spruce grouse and rough grouse and I just did a podcast. I'm going to be uploading this afternoon, actually, with uh, my buddy Nate Akey, who is out there with us. And he he and I agree. He lives in Oregon now, and he's been trying to shoot uh, uh, rough grouse over there since he got there. He's like, man, they are not uh, the the jump off the trail, sit in a tree kind of rough grouse like everybody talks about. And we ran into it first thing. We had rough grouse who were running, uh, dogs relocating. They were running up mountainsides, everything else. Cool. But it was fun. And then uh, we went, the last stop was for blue grouse in central Montana, up in the mountains at about 8,500 feet. And we uh, we ended up getting getting into a pretty good number of blues as well. So that was definitely definitely my first highlight of the trip. And the second what's one the, is... Be, a, before you go to the second one, what's the sure. blue grouse setup? Are they... Are they grouped up birds? Like, what is it? How does the, the hunt play out from what you experienced? Well, that time, that time of the year, it was. Okay. And now, I, I, let's be real clear here. Uh, I am absolutely zero authority on, on yeah, blue yeah. grouse. I've shot three of them in my life, and I think I've seen probably ten. Gotcha. Um, but uh, we we definitely ran into broods. I think that they're okay. they very similar to rough grouse. They flush really hard. Um, they look just like a supersized rough grouse. I mean, uh, like when you open up the fan and everything else. But I did, we did notice one of the guys, Nate actually, he got a big, a big male blue grouse that, uh, was off by itself. But we, we definitely moved some broods. Okay. And they weren't in nearly as thick a timber as you would find like grouse. Kind of like so, tall, mature timber kind of stuff. Yeah. That's what but, I picture. But open, openings, Opening, lots of yeah. openings. Yep. Yeah. So like on the edges of the meadows and, and, uh, I think they call them parklands or, or whatever. But, um, that is the highlight of my Montana trip for me. Those birds were awesome. They're huge. Go ahead. Oh, you say how was the dog work on it? Uh pretty good. Um, we had. Uh, they were not again not not the same birds that people talk about when they're out there hunting elk that uh, they're shooting with bows and arrows. Yeah. yeah. You put a dog down on the ground, it changes something in those birds. I mean, it definitely they're definitely that. a lot yeah. more spooky. Yep. Um, we the very first brood that we got into, we were. 300 yards from the truck maybe and we had a double point on them and we never ended up even getting a chance at them because they just went out the other side of this little clump of trees uh but there was five or six birds there probably in that brood but um we got some nice dog work on them i got a, i got one over bow and i got uh two over rusty cool yeah uh and then the last one was uh my birthday uh christmas day i went and hunted with uh Pat Flanagan uh, down in Arizona. Oh, did you? We went. Mm-hmm, nice. We went and hunted behind some of his dogs, uh, which was kind of nice because my dogs were pretty much torched <laughs> at that point. It's like, <laughs> well, I kind of like to go, uh, but don't really have the dog power. I wanted to take a day off, and uh, ended up going out with him. And I think we hunted. We only made one walk. It was about four hours or so. And it's a good I think walk. We, moved, I think we moved seven coveys of Merns, and I think we ended up killing nine. And uh, it was just a real gentlemanly hunt. We were shoot, we'd shoot one bird out of each covey rise, uh, yeah. and that was it. And we never chased singles. It was super fun. Yeah, I did an interview recently with Tony White, Arizona taxidermist and bird hunter, and he was commenting how the Merns quail was not 
awesome this year. And was that uh, was you were down there quite a bit, Tyler? That that was the case. Yeah, we. Uh, I mean, it was definitely down from last year. Uh, there was still. You know, we ran into some nice cubbies, though, still. Okay. Um, I've seen several cubbies of 8 to 10, which is uh, normal to a little bit above normal. Um, you know, we just – there were so many other birds around that uh, most people didn't really focus on them too much. Everybody was chasing the gambles and scalies, which was probably helpful. Yeah. But if you um, – you know, and it, it was really localized. So the one day we hunted one canyon, I think we moved seven cubbies. Uh, and another group that was hunting in the canyon right next to us was more friends of mine. I think they moved five. Uh, so 12 coveys in, in two canyons. And then three days later, we went just like a mile farther to the west, and we never seen a bird all day. Yeah. yeah. So, like, it was just that localized. Yep. Hence the reason I live on my weather app <laughs> during <laughs> July and August. Yeah. yeah. You've done that. We talked about this on, on the PF podcast, but five, five, six years you've been going down there now? This is my fifth, fifth year, year. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So yep. you're, you're getting a feel for it, starting to get some confidence with it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I got, a, I got a, a stable of spots that I feel like with pretty, with, certainty if a guy wanted to go and spend a day we'd, we'd definitely have a chance what about those rabbits were there a pile of those this year no okay. uh there were still some uh but they had uh an outbreak in southwest of um it was like some sort of a bunny rabbit hemorrhagic fever i can't remember oh. exactly what it was called but thankfully it only really affects older rabbits the young ones uh if they're born uh they you know they kind of have a little bit of an immunity to it but yeah, so from last year, from 2020 to 2021, I bet we've seen maybe a quarter of the amount of rabbits hmm. that we've seen. We still shot plenty, but it was not anywhere like it was. Yeah. You did mention the Pathfinder. So talk to me about that real quick. How, sure. Have you been using that for a couple of years? Uh, yeah. Okay. So I've had it for a couple of years, but hunting out here in on the prairie, it's not something that I tend to, I don't really need it. Um, right. Yep. You know, like I use my, I use my TMB dual. I use my beeper collars a lot. Cause I, you know, especially for pheasant hunting and cattails and stuff like that, you need to be able to figure out where your dog's at when it stops on point. But, uh, I'm not like coming from where I come from. I know that you rough grouse guys are a lot more comfortable with the not being able to see your dogs quite as, as much, yeah, you know, like it, I can see my dogs out here the for territory, but yeah, I, I'm yeah. the reverse of you where, yeah, like I, I came into it with the GPS caller and I wouldn't hunt without one, but I, mm -hmm. but I can say from coming out and hunting around you, I'm not relying on that GPS hardly at all, but my dog's wearing sure. it because I have it, of course, but yeah, it's exactly. a totally different yeah. setup. Yeah, but, your dog would have to get a long ways yeah. out for you not yeah. to be able it to can, see it. It can be helpful if, you know, the dog's on point on the other side of a rise. It tells sure. you that, you know, so it's be sure. because you have it, you wear it. But, yes, totally different right. uh, need. But I, so I've never really used it too much. I've, I've always really liked the beeper collars for yep. what I do out here. But so starting in in – in September, when we went out to Montana, like I said, I mean, there was a, where we were hunting for the for uh, for the spruce grouse and the rough grouse. There's a lot of wolves. Yep. There's a lot of grizzly bears, and there's a lot of mountain lions. So my dogs are well, except except for the the goofy short hair Bo, um, who seems to be somewhat of a savant when it comes to rough grouse because he's only hunted them exactly once and <laughs> just blew it off. I mean, did fantastic. Um, but my two setters, they. Uh, I mean, they can handle them because they're used to hunting, running pheasants, but they just have a hard time shortening up. So I end up hacking on them a little bit more than I'm really comfortable with. But I, especially on CJ, I was not going to put her down on the ground without GPS collar on yeah. because 
Um, I mean, here in North Dakota, she pointed a cubby of hunts for me this year at 470 yards. She's I a mean, she is a mini big, rocket ship. Yeah. She is a big <laughs> running little dog. Uh, and I knew that she wasn't going to slow down a whole lot in the woods. I mean, you know, she might shorten up to a couple hundred yards, but, uh, so the nice thing about the Pathfinder is that, uh, it's, it's small enough where I actually ran it on the dog with the TMB dual. Yes. Yeah. So I put both, I put both collars on, uh, and then, I downloaded all the maps in the area that we were going to be hunting to my phone off Google Earth. So that way you can run it offline. You don't have to worry about anything else. Um, but a couple of the things that I learned about this year on that Pathfinder is that even if you don't have the maps downloaded, it still shows the direction and how far away the dog is okay. and everything else. Yep. It just doesn't show any of the terrain. Yep. So it will still work without any cell phone service. It just doesn't show anything else. Yeah, just blank. Yeah. So, I mean, which is totally fine because that's all I really need anyways. I want to know how far the dog is away and what direction so that way I can find it in case it gets lost. Yep. Um, and thankfully, I mean, we didn't have any, any issues with, uh, with any other critters over there, uh, in Montana. So it was kind of, but it's just kind of that little lifeline that I wanted to have just to kind of make myself feel comfortable because I couldn't see him. You know, I've still ran the beepers on because, like I said, wolves and bears, I was kind of hoping that the noise coming through the woods. And if anybody's ever heard CJ going through the woods, you would be scared. <laughs> like, it makes me <laughs> uncomfortable because uh, she is going real fast and she's grunting and panting. And, oh, my gosh, it, it's it's something. But uh, And so that was my first uh, real experience with using it where I really, really kind of felt like I needed it. Right. Um, I used it in Michigan this year when I was over there chasing rough grouse, and I also use it down in the canyons of Arizona uh, for the exact same reason. I mean, it's, you know, you just want to make sure that, uh, you know, if the dog does stop or go over top of a ridge, you may not be able to hear it. Yeah. So it just, it really is, it's very cheap, very nice insurance to have. Yeah, the ultimate peace of mind for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and the price point on the, on, on the Pathfinder is just so attractive too. Yep. I mean, it's. You know, as far as a GPS caller, if, if, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of brands out there, they all work really well. But man, I mean, you can spend $300 on a Pathfinder and get all the peace of mind that you want in the world, you know? Yeah. And I guess I always uh, appreciated like the way Doctra approached that. Cause yeah, if you've got your training callers or you're squared away in that sense and you just want to add the GPS capability, that's, that's what they tried to do. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely an inexpensive peace of mind um, yes. for the Pathfinder versus a lot of the other alternatives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm forgetting what I was going to ask you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've only been talking for two hours since I had all kinds of internet issues anyway. So, uh... Oh, I remember now, Tyler. I was listening to your podcast, and I don't think you've had your hands on it, but I figured since we were talking about it, we could mention Doctor did just come out with a new yeah, sort of like an expanded version of the Pathfinder. Um, yeah. Do, do you feel comfortable talking about it? Well, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's basically the same. Uh, it's the same Pathfinder, but is what they did is they made a bundle. Uh, I think it's called the Pathfinder SE Kit or something like that. And uh, I, I, I think I still have the flyer on my phone, but it actually comes. So one of the things that everybody was kind of always concerned about is, first of all, you're using – I guess I, I should back up here for a second. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Pathfinder, it actually works off of an app on your phone. Yep. So you get the you download the Pathfinder app in the App Store. Uh, you open it up, and so in my mind, and I, I I know I'm not alone on this. It's it's not 
set up to be a perfect training collar by any means, but it's set up very well to be exactly what it is. Yeah. is a, it's a really nice GPS collar. The tracking works great. It works off Google Earth. The Pathfinder SE kit that they came out with this year is it comes with the Pathfinder and it also comes with a cat phone, like from Caterpillar, like that kind of cat. And, uh, yep. so it's, it's, uh, uh, waterproof up to like 30 feet underwater. Uh, so I mean, like, it's it like comes a with rugged all this smartphone that they give very, you. Very, very rugged. Yep. Yeah. And it, I mean, and so it comes with all the, and on top of that, it actually works as a freaking phone. So, right, you know, right. like, it, like it's, you know, I just paid, I just got a new iPhone yesterday and paid $700 just for the dang iPhone. And I could have gotten the SE kit for the same price. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. you know, like, I mean, basically if, you know, and the, the, it, it comes with all, everything all pre-downloaded on it. And it just makes it so that you don't have to worry about taking your personal cell phone out and dropping it or breaking it or i mean because these things are expensive yeah. i mean you know nobody wants to replace anything you don't want to worry about getting it wet yeah. um so by putting this kit out they really kind of and again hit a really nice price point with a collar and a smartphone for you know for that kind of price is is unheard of yeah yeah it's definitely a great testament to listening to your customers because that you know initially that was my one hang up with the pathfinder is it always seems like i have end up having an old phone my cell phone dies in like two hours so that that's a a really smart way to to put the that bundle of products together yeah for sure yeah make it yeah. like an independent system that's not using your yeah. phone whatever yeah and then to still have the ability to use your phone right, right. like in instances exactly. like yeah. i'm gonna go let the dogs run around here for a little bit and i don't have to you know fire up a bunch of stuff i can just whip my phone out yeah right yeah. Yeah, the, the thing that I, I I use it when I'm camping a lot because you can set up a geofence on it. It's super handy. So you literally just take your fingers and draw like around your campsite or whatever, and your phone will buzz anytime that the dog goes outside of that outside that that geofence. And then Works you just great. start yelling, CJ, Rusty, Bo. No, then I just I, I beep them <laughs> okay. on the other caller. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so Tyler, I'm looking on the website here, and I don't know if this is true or not. I'm looking at Dog Show's website and does it does it have a thermal imaging camera on it? Yeah, it Ooh. does. I forgot about that. Yeah, the cat <laughs> phone the comes heck? with a thermal imaging camera on it. Yep. So when when the dog's on point and you're wondering what's in the bush, you can pull out that thermal image and you can see. Yep, there's two grouse sitting there. Right, and it also has it, like and those are my things, those are my words, not Dogtra's product names. <laughs> one of the other <laughs> things that they uh, that they listen to their customer base on is that the, they come with LED lights on that you can turn on as well on the collars. So that way, at, mm -hmm, okay. so that way at, at night you can uh, you can see where your dogs are at as well. But yeah, it, it does have a FLIR camera on that phone. Which now that the more and more I think about it, the more I feel like a uh, a, a moron for not just getting one of those instead <laughs> of getting another iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's cool. But anyways, yeah, so the Dr. T&B Dual, for folks that don't understand that, tell us briefly about that, Tyler. That's that's sort of the everyday training caller. That well, and as far as I'm concerned, and I think caller. it's Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it certainly is it's my go-to, but um so Again, by listening to their customer base, so I, like I have the very first e-collar I ever bought was a Dogtra, which is why I'm super happy to be uh, having them as a sponsor on my podcast as well. And I know you do as well. The first one that I ever bought was the TNB 2002 model. It's legitimately 19 years old, and I still have the collars. I brought them as backups down to Arizona. <laughs> they still work. But on on those particular on the transmitter for those collars, 
there was a little toggle switch up in the middle that you had to switch from one collar to the other. Yeah. So, you know, they were different colors. One was, uh, one was green, one was orange, just like they are still, but you'd have to, fl- have, have to flip that switch. And so is what they did with the TMB dual is they made a transmitter that has the buttons on the front and then buttons on the side. So one, the buttons on the front operate one collar, buttons on the side operate another. They have two different rheostats on top. So you can actually tune in to your dog's, um, threshold for stimulation yep. on each individual collar. So like if I got, uh, Rusty out there, he's, he's pretty, pretty soft. I can run him on like a 25. If I have bow out there, I can run him on a 40. Um, you know, it, it, each dog has a little bit different tolerance. So that way you're not, toggling between dogs yep. you're not um you're, you're not constantly having to flip toggle a switch and then up the juice on one collar compared to the other and then i know it happened to me and i'm not proud proud of it but uh when you're constantly toggling between two different dogs all of a sudden you end up stimulating the wrong dog because you're not mm-hmm. you know yeah. you're not you're not you're not paying attention there's a lot of things going on all of a sudden from way over off the other side you hear a dog yipe or something you're like oh sorry about that bro yeah. <laughs> you know so now is what I do is I personally only run one dog at a time anyways, but my setters wear the orange collars. My short hair wears the green collar. End of story. So like <laughs> I, I know whatever dog I have down, that's what side of the, what side of the call, uh, the transmitter I need to operate yeah. off of. And it works. I like, I like the beeper collars for, uh, many different, re- many different reasons, but, uh, it, I also train my dogs to turn on a tone. Yeah. So instead of blowing a whistle or something like that, I can just hit the beep button one time and get their attention where they'll look up at me and, and switch directions or whatever I really want them to do. But, uh, it's just, it's a super handy, uh, super handy, uh, setup and it works fantastic. And I've been using it for a couple of years. I know you've been using yours for a couple yep. of years as well. And, um, it's really, it's, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice product. Yeah. Yeah, the beeper is one thing Ben and I were chatting a little bit before we were recording, and that's one thing that I don't see a way around it for me in my hunting in the rough grouse yet, rough grouse woods yet. And I just I like the beeper on there because I like mm-hmm. hands free, eyes free, immediate location on my dog when when they're on point. And uh, for sure, you know, and I know a lot of people, the, the traditionalists, they still run bells, yeah. and bells. I, I will a hundred percent agree they sound a lot classier going through the woods yep. than a beeper, but. The one problem with the bell, and and we ran into this in Michigan. My buddy Brent, he runs a bell all the time, and uh, when the dog stops and goes on point, you can't hear it anymore. Yep. So you know, like with me personally, not being super confident and where and not understanding echoes and stuff like that in the woods because I just never spent any time in there. Just like Ben was saying, I mean, being able to hit that button on the side and and, uh, and locate your dog right away, yep. man, I mean, that is nice. And I would say that you bring up a perfect example. That's probably the, the point of the beeper for me is when you have somebody else with you. Sure. Sure, I, I've got a GPS on my dog. I know he's on point. I can look at my watch, whatever. I can look at it and see where, where the dog is. But if my hunting partner doesn't know where the dog is, then what do I have to do? Tyler, he's over here. He's 30 yards up here. And you guys both right. know as soon as you start yelling in the bird woods, it's, it's not good. You don't want to be doing no. that. You know, I don't have a ton of experience with beepers. Uh, you know, what does that do to birds? Like grouse, pheasants? Like what's your experience with that? My, my thinking on it is that obviously the grouse can hear the beeper. I don't see enough, I don't see enough averse reaction for me to stop using it. Now I, I'd never right. sit here and say 
they don't care. They don't do anything differently because I just think wild birds are unpredictable and you never know if a grouse hears a beeper. It, maybe if it feels like the dog isn't putting enough pressure on it, maybe it walks out. You know, like who knows what they're going to do. But the one thing I can tell you is that with a beeper on, my dogs still get grouse pointed that I walk in and shoot. So sure. that's that's sure. why, why I do it. And I, I I kind of feel the same way you do. It's uh, I think there are going to be some birds that are never going to hold, yep. and I think there's going to be some birds that are always going to hold. And I think the ones in between there are going to be uh, are going to be based on dog work more so than a noise. Yeah. Um, you know, like sharp tails are one of the most notoriously touchy birds as far as dog work goes in the world, especially late season sharp tails. Um, you know, they're, they're very, they're very eager to fly more so than other birds where they'll sit. Yep. And I've had dogs at, well, I had a, uh, CJ pointed a couple of sharp tails in November with the beeper collars on, never bothered them a bit. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So it is March. It's early March, guys. We got a long ways to go until September, but I'm curious what's what's on your mind right now. What are you thinking about this summer? You guys going to the clay range? You shooting shotguns? You got dog training things? Ben, what's what do you got going this off season? Yeah, a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, Going to do a lot of shooting, and I've got a a new pup joining the pack oh, here cool. in April. So congratulations! Yeah. yeah, awesome, man. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to going uh, going white dog style. Going to get a pointer. So Ooh, that's oh, exciting. Yeah, finally getting some something with some class. <laughs> I know. I need to be able to run with the big dogs. Out <laughs> Look west at you there. demeaning towards towards Ben Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're gonna have to bring that little puppy out in August, and we'll go and run him. <laughs> Where, where's the pointer coming so. from, Ben? Uh, Hackberry Kennels, just uh, Bob Cohen's out of uh, just outside of Omaha, actually. So okay. it's a LHU LHU pup. Uh, um, actually, they it was a uh, frozen semen from LHU Sinbad. So I wonder if that okay. is the same. I could be totally making this up, but the podcast I just put out was with Greg Elliott, and he just got a pointer. I don't know. I won't even bring it up because I'm. I'm I'll have to go. I'll have to check with Greg. He got a pointer from somewhere down, down south, and and he likes Elhu dogs. So I'm not sure. Yeah, they're yeah. nice dogs. Yeah. So that's going to be that is going to be pretty much having a handful this summer. That's but I'm, I'm looking forward one, yeah. to it. Yeah, the, and the problem here is, you know, the, all the all the public land, rightfully so, closes from April to for sure. Yeah. April to, to July fifteenth. Exactly. So I'm. Uh, I'm on the hunt for private land around here. Well, now. are you are you going to be getting is the when you get the pup will it be eight weeks old or whatever? Yeah, more okay. or less. So, yeah. so you're not in a hurry. You know, not a whole me. lot to do yet. By but. the time by the time you can get back out on the on the public ground, that pup will be of an age where you'd be. Well, I do know that there's uh, quite a few pretty active Nobda chapters over there, and I think I'm going to be coming over to to watch one of the tests at, at Pine Ridge actually, Nick. Really. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think Ron's going to be there and Mike Nadeski are two of the judges. So oh, why in the hell cool. wouldn't I go over there and, and hang out with those two? See, I was talking to Ron recently and I was asking him if he had, cause I had thought I heard that too and he wasn't sure, but you know, maybe he didn't have his calendar in front of him. But yeah, if you end up at Pine Ridge, you let me know. Cause I will, I will meet you there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to come over there and just, and just hang out. I got a, a lot of listeners and, and some friends from Minnesota that are going to be over there testing and cool. and everything else. But, uh, I know Ron's also testing one of the, or judging one of the tests here okay. at my home okay. Nobda chapter this year. Uh, so he's actually going to stay here. The Nobda grounds, uh, by me are, I think they're 14 miles away. So he's going to be out here in June as well. It'll be, it'll be a riot. But yeah, seriously, Ben, um, there's some really good Nobda chapters in, in Minnesota. If you're looking for a place, they always have birds and, and grounds. 
but yeah, that's going to be super fun for you. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a new adventure and you know, I'm going to run them through a different style of training. So that'll be fun just to kind of learn the ins and outs of that. I'm going to yep. go do the, the Huntsmith silent command deal. So cool. um, it'll be just a yeah fun new experience. I'm looking forward to it. And then I can have a dog that can run with Tyler's hopefully. Yep. That's right. <laughs> well, Tyler, you're uh, you're hopefully not having puppies this summer. I, you already shoot shoot well enough. What the hell are you going to be doing this summer? It, it, well, if I do, it was it was via immaculate conception <laughs> or something because like like sixty miles removed is about as about as safe as I can possibly get. Um, so I'm I'm actually gonna I'm gonna try to rededicate myself a little bit to shooting. Um, okay. Shooting. Uh, I want to. I used to shoot a ton of trap and skeet, and uh, we don't have any sporting clays courses in North Dakota, which kind of sucks. Yeah. But um, I, I've actually noticed in the last couple of years, I, it could also have something to do with the fact that I went from shooting a 12 gauge forever to a 20 and a 28. Yeah. But uh, uh, I I kind of miss it a little bit, and uh, just getting out and shooting a little bit is fun, but. First thing on my mind is I'm doing a six date turkey tour oh, uh, starting right. mid April. Yep. Yep. So I'm, uh, that is the next thing on, on my agenda. Uh, and then I think I'm also going to do a spring bear hunt in Montana. Really? <laughs> End of May, early June, going to go try to spot and stock one. All right. Uh, which I've never done before. I've seen exactly three bears in my life. So I'm kind of a little bit hesitant, but, uh, I've been <laughs> talking with, uh, with some people from the Montana Game and Fish Department, getting some ideas on where I'm going to go over there as well. So that'll basically take me into June, and then you know we're just a hop, skip, and a jump away from uh, from training season at that point. So I'm I'm going to be keeping pretty busy. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. I'm on a I'm on a big shotgun kick slash shooting kick as well. So I'm going to be trying to shoot a lot of mainly sporting clay is what I tend to do here. I have some access to ski and trap, but we've got a really good sporting clays course. So I'm, uh, I'm going down that rabbit hole this summer. Sporting clays is, is, is far superior in my opinion. It's ver- I mean, it's, yeah. The variability of it, I guess is, is much yeah, more intriguing. I mean, ski is all about learning leads. And once you know the leads, it's just, it, you know, it's the same shots over and over and over and over yeah. and over again. And trap is trap is at well after listening to how you miss that sharp tail over your poor little dog. Maybe you do need to shoot some you more trap I'm, because yeah. that is a very that is a very it was a similar, trap shot. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, like when you're when if if you're going to come out west and you're going to be shooting tra- uh, shooting sharp tails and huns and maybe even pheasants, shooting trap is actually a pretty nice uh, simulation to that. Because they're all kind of going away at some angle or another, yep. but every, all the actions generally happening in front of you. I've never, I've never shot trap, and I think, I think because you hear a lot of upland bird hunters that have shot trap, they're kind of like, yeah, you know, it's the same going away shots over and over again. Like you don't necessarily need to do it. So I've always had this thing in my mind, like I haven't thought, oh, I need to go shoot trap. But I'm reading this book. It's an um, old book pretty well known i think written by bob brister shotgunning in the art and the science he talks a lot about skiing trap in there and the more i read it i'm thinking back to like the shots that i miss like some of the shots mm-hmm. that i struggle with the most are the straightaway shots which yep. is something that obviously trap could help you with so i'm thinking i might need to hit the trap course this well, summer I'll talk, i know what you've done I, I know exactly what you did when when you miss those going like everybody and especially the rough grouse guys that i i hunt with a lot of them they're so used to having to shoot so fast and instinctive and instinctively yeah. that when they get a shot on a sharp tail that's going straight away, you pull your head off your stock to watch the bird fall. Hundred percent is exactly what yeah. happens. And like I, uh, I shot a lot of trap. I, I, I used to shoot a lot of a lot of tournaments. I've ran, uh, I've ran two fifty straight in trap. I think four times. Jeez. Uh, 
And uh, the last time I went and shot trap, I was on I was on my, for my hundredth bird in a row. I was on station three, right in the middle of the trap, uh, and a bird went straight away, and I missed it bigger than hell. And like the easiest <laughs> shot that a person can possibly get, and I did exactly that. Picked Just pulled head the head up. off yep. the stock yeah. a little bit to watch that bird go poof. At that point, it's just, a. I mean, the cool thing there is it's just between trap or skeet. I mean, it's just a mental game at that yep. point, right? Mm-hmm. You're just trying to stay in it. So that's what I think is cool about skeet and trap. It's, yep. you know, you've, you've, you've hit the shot, you know, a million times. times. Can you do yeah. it yeah. again? Yeah. Just got to follow your, follow your mechanics, you know, your mount has to be consistent you have to get your head in the pocket and yep. you know, it's, it, yeah. Other than that, it's all, you know, it's all just like Ben was saying, we've seen the same shot a million times over and over again, but still there's nobody in the world who's never missed. Right. So yep. you know, <laughs> yep. like our brain still comes into play. That's for sure. Yep. Well, good stuff. Sounds like we'll all, we our, our paths might cross this summer, which is cool. And we've all got, we've all got some sure. stuff going on. So before we, uh, before we go any further and take up too much time, I want to, we're going to get to the question now. This is for the giveaway. And what folks are going to do is the answers to the question that I'm going to ask these guys You'll have two answers, and you're going to go to the projectalbum.com website, look up this podcast episode, find this podcast episode, and I'm going to have a little question poll on that page with the answers to these questions. So, I think you should make them do math. I think you. Should, I think it should be a combined answer. <laughs> Ooh, that could be. That could be a good idea, but then we would have to do the math to figure it out. And that might be fair enough. Yeah, I'm out on the math. By the way. <laughs> All right. So the question I'm asking these guys, because I both, I know that both of them got around quite a bit last fall and hunted a bunch of different States, especially Tyler. How many States did you hunt? Should we say upland birds? That's the only thing I hunt. Yeah, right. That's what I figured. Ben, you probably did some other stuff. You know what? Yeah. Forget it. A... Let's just say how many States did you hunt in last fall? How many states did you hunt in last fall? Ben, what was it? Eight states total. Eight states total for Ben Bredigan of Onyx. Eight states total last hunting season. Tyler, how about you? Uh, the Dirty Ten. I, dirty I, did, ten. I did ten. <laughs> nice. Good work. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I, uh, I, I got to hunt uh, two new states this year that I never got to hunt before. I got to hunt Oklahoma and New Mexico, so I was pretty fun. Sweet. All right, so if I can figure out how to pull all this together, <laughs> the listeners are going to go to the productupland.com website and enter eight states for Ben Bredigan and ten states for Tyler Webster, number of states hunted, and one lucky winner is going to win a Dogtra TNB dual collar system and a one-year subscription to Onyx Elite $99 value plus the Dr. Caller, which is one. It's a hell of a giveaway, so somebody's going to get lucky and win that. Thank you to Dogtra. And thank you to Onyx. Appreciate it, Ben. Yeah, it was great. Great catching up with you boys. Yep. That's all I've got. Any final thoughts, Tyler? No, uh, just uh, make sure you guys are enjoying the spring. Get outside and get them dogs run before uh, yep. before all the training seasons close April 15th. If folks want to stay tuned into what Tyler's up to, they can always check out the Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast. Highly recommend it. Check that out. Ben, uh, anything, anything, any tidbits from Onyx or otherwise just folks stay tuned. You guys always have something new coming out anyways. Yeah, we've got some really cool stuff coming down the pipe for bird hunters here this year. So definitely keep watching. Cool. Go to our website, Instagram, whatever. Um, it's going to be good, be a good year to be a bird hunter and use an Onyx. So awesome. Thank you guys both. I appreciate it. That does it for this episode of the project Upland podcast. Thanks for tuning in everybody.
Thanks for tuning in to the Project Upland Podcast. That does it for this episode of the show. A quick reminder that the Project Upland Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, CZ USA, Sage and Breaker, and Dakota 283. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.